The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. There hasn't been any great advances in prison rape or space travel. That's awesome. Is it a gritty reboot? We've been talking about Batman, like usual. <laughs> World was like. It's free, you know. I travelled through time. Totally. Totally. That's actually That's For you on a lazy season. It's a total fact. <laughs> the father of the barn and the holy toast. Fire up the fucking flux capacitor. Let's get guns. Now this is total. <laughs> Everyone relax. This is hands-free TOEFOP. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson, and I'm just looking at the levels. But I think the levels are okay. That yeah. feels okay to me. Okay. So okay. We're, uh, we're rolling with... Um, it's funny. We've, we've gone old school. The first mics that we uh, could never figure out how to use, we've brought to the pod cave because we bought mic stands for the, uh, the new mics, but we didn't have the right uh, mic holders. Also, I think what we've done with the mic stands is, I don't know, I guess it has to be like that, but basically the mic stands are like up high and then they're lent down. Yeah. So basically all we've done is really cover each other's faces. I know, I can't see <laughs> your can't face see. at all. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows if this is a better method or not, but no, maybe it is. Maybe well, it is. I can't see your lips moving. I can hear what you're saying, but I can't see your lips moving, which means you could be lying to me. I guess that, well, I mean, often I could be lying to you. Often I could be lying to myself. Who fucking knows what the nature of reality is, Charlie? These stories are just the way I remember them and the comic way that I tell them. And the more that I tell them, the more I believe that that is actually the truth. But I'm not sure that it is actually the well, truth. I've been reading, what is the nature of I've truth? been reading this book called Brain Rules, which is uh, by this neuroscientist. And it's- uh, Nerd! <laughs> it is very nerdy. <laughs> but there's one thing that uh, struck me as interesting is the idea of memories, where memories are stored. So basically- you got mammalian brain. No, you got the reptile brain, which is like breathe, walk, sit kind of thing. Then you got mammal brain, which is reptilian brain that can only be controlled by Chris Pratt. Yeah, that's <laughs> the only person who can control it. Then the next uh, part of the brain is you got the mammal brain, which is um, sleep. Fuck. By the way, feed. if we have a reptilian brain, which yeah. I guess comes from like you know that the the history of the dinosaurs, right? If there's part of us when we crawled out of the primordial ooze, right? So shouldn't there have been a scene in Jurassic World where like you know that scene with the raptors? Have you seen Jurassic yeah, yeah, World yeah, yeah. yet? Yeah. So yeah. you know the scene with the raptors where like the the new the whatever it's called the Gigantosaurus Rex or whatever the fucking new thing is called yeah. um, where it starts communicating with the raptors that yeah. scene that I have so many problems with yeah. maybe if Chris Pratt had just concentrated yeah. really hard he could have controlled the dinosaur did we, have we talked about did we, I think we brushed over it when Justin was here but it, it probably bears repeating the thing about the, this film that makes no sense to me where I was like what? is every bit is from the start everything. of the film <laughs> yes. to the end of the film <laughs> no is the Vincent D'Onofrio character ah uh, the best who wants to weaponize the, best. the Velociraptors everything. right just anything well this is the thing can though. that be a weapon that's the, but that's, can that be a weapon that's the first two actors let's make it into a weapon he wants to he wants to weaponize the Raptors that completely fails, falls apart, there's chaos in the park. Then his next plan is, oh, we need to weaponize something bigger and more uncontrollable. I mean... It, Did you just go to weaponize school? Is that the, that what you majored in weaponizing? It's his only solution to any situation. <laughs> weaponize it. I think he's had one weaponizing success early on, something yeah. that went really well. He's like, we should weaponize that. And it actually turned out to be yeah. like, yeah, really good. And now that's his solution to every situation. Yeah. His poor wife's at home like, oh... Hey, Vincent, did you take out the garbage? And he's like, I'm going to weaponize it. No, weaponize it. It's going to blow up the garbage. You can't weaponize the garbage, Vincent. 
she calls him at home. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, he's speaking at the UN. It's like, we've got this terrible Syrian refugee crisis. Right. What's your solution? Weaponize Weaponize them. them. We- weaponize the refugees. <laughs> <laughs> they can protect our borders as they're coming to them. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's. I mean, it is a crazy... Like, the... That, that premise that there's this guy who just is like weaponize we have, <laughs> we have these uncontrollable creatures yeah. of absolute devastation yeah. that one guy who's essentially grown up with them like some sort of fucking you know uh, uh, velociraptor whisperer right yeah <laughs> he's that's lived, a fucking tongue twister he's lived with the velociraptors like all his life and he can barely control them yeah barely control yeah. them right yeah and some guy's like well we should just make them a weapon well I'll take you back once step further uh, take me back we have been li- I can talk about this forever. we have been living um, with various species of animals for centuries thousands of years and we have not successfully right, weaponized it down fucking David Attenborough any of those <laughs> like we haven't weaponized horses or dogs right. or cats why do you suddenly think that this uh, animal that you've brought back that's been extinct for millions of years is suddenly going to be so easy to weaponize I want an entire spin-off franchise of him weaponizing things <laughs> The Jetway character. The Weaponizer. The Weaponizer. <laughs> yeah, it should be done. Vincent D'Onofrio is the Weaponizer. But it should be like Better Homes and Gardens. Right. Or like, I guess if you're American, like Martha Stewart. Right. So and he just, just goes around the house <laughs> showing how you can weaponize, weaponize things. <laughs> Don't let him near your toaster. It'll blow your head fucking clean off. Uh, today we've got a letter from Cindy. Uh, Cindy's told us that all she has laying around the house is a frying pan and a couple of cans of baked beans. But you know what, Cindy? Here's how you can weaponize those. <laughs> I fucking love it. I think that's a great idea. It was the weaponizer. It was such a shame seeing. I thought D'Onofrio was amazing in Daredevil. Daredevil yeah. Like, just for me, that's like one of the all time great, brilliant vi- performance villain creations. Like Hannibal Lecter. Like where you almost want to watch the villain more than you want to watch the hero. That's how and, good and it you is. need to kind of be. He totally got that character of Wilson Fisk, which is like. Wilson, Wilson Fisk, particularly in that first season of Daredevil, the way that story played out, he is a guy who thinks he's doing the right yeah. thing. He just has a warped Would you world might, view. You of might what, say that they're, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. Right. <laughs> they're both trying to save the city in their own way. Did you see that uh, fan theory that someone posted to the Tofop um, Facebook page about the Joker being the real... Oh, he's actually the, a hero, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they go through essentially what happened as a result, all of the Joker's actions, that the Joker is actually the real hero of the film. Yeah. I, no, it was, stre- it was a stretch. <laughs> 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 I mean, you could argue, if you take that whole, uh, you know, that the Andrew Bolt metaphor that was popular at the time, which is Batman is actually George W. Bush. He's the man who makes the hard decisions. Right. Imagine and- if they played him like George W. Bush, just constantly getting words wrong, putting up, <laughs> put, defeating the, the Joker once, but the Joker's actually coming up with a bigger plan, but he's put up a mission accomplished banner. Yeah, that's but- right. <laughs> he caught the penguin and he caught the penguin in a rat hole, you know, handed him over to the people for trial, but all that did was spark a whole kind of group of other people to rise up behind different, the penguin. Different people again. Yeah. Yeah. Pengu- he is George Ping- W. Penguinsis. Yeah. And then his brother, and penguin? then his brother runs to be Batman. <laughs> <laughs> you said penguin the first time. I said it right said the first penguin time. The first, second time. Fucking hell, man! I've been doing some work on that. I just when I do it, I have to visualize pen, pen, Gwyn, pen, and then Gwyneth Paltrow. That's how I get. That's how I get through it these days. Penguinith. Oh shit! I've gone too far. <laughs> I've followed through. Um, uh, dude, for for an upcoming home and away storyline. 
Is there a chance? Is that what it is? Like, what is? They've said to you, they're like, hey, oh, yeah. hey uh, Zach takes look, the kids down to Phillip Island. Phillip Island <laughs> to visit the Hem- Hemsworth family that they've just incorporated into the show now. Uh, I should- it's my favorite thing, by the way. Like, whenever I think of Phillip Island now, I used to think of motor racing. Yeah. I used to think of penguins. And now I think of is the Hemsworths. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, I just yeah. love that the Hemsworths are Phillip Island. The people. best thing that Phillip Island yep. ever produced. Um, John Deeks, uh, Tofop's own John Deeks, has been recording some stuff for us for LA Podfest. Uh, LA Podcast Festival. Uh, it's next weekend. And we're really excited to be flying over for it. Yep. Um, and... Uh, if you want to watch the live stream and you can watch it for three weeks afterwards, you can watch every show at the podcast festival. And if you put in the code TOFOP, T-O-F-O-P, when you are ordering that live stream, we get a little kickback and Charlie and I are both flying over for it. So it'd be really handy. Or you can buy one of the podfest t-shirts or yeah. one of the posters. Yeah. There you go. That's so every time we uh, do a live show, we get Dixie to record a new intro for us. Now I won't spoil what I've asked him to say this time around, but I did reference the Hemsworths. Now, Dixie also has a habit of Mispronouncing or misreading stuff that we Charlie Clausen uh, Clausen pr- uh, pronounced Clausen <laughs> or Tofob. Yeah, he uh, or naturally John Deke speaking naturally. <laughs> he kept he referred to the Hemsworth twice as the Helmsworths. Oh. So they haven't cut through to Dixie's world? No. Like, Chris Chris Helmsworth is worth about $50 million now. I quite like the idea of there being, like, an alternate universe Hemsworth oh. clan called the yeah, Helmsworths. The Helmsworths. It's kind of like, they all kind of look like them, but they've all got beards. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, they, they seem a little bit more hillbilly. Yes. They're from a more hillbilly area. Oh, well, they could be the American Hemsworths. They must be, they'll be just the like... The Helmsworths. The Helmsworths, the white trash American Hemsworths. Where are the Helmsworths? Where, it where, sounds like a reality Where you have the, the Hemsworths. Hemsworths who are, like, all surfers and yeah. stuff. The Helmsworths are all just cooking meth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's Breaking Bad meet Summer Bay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was Chris the only Hemsworth who was ever in Home and Away or was uh, did any of the other nah. Hemsworths come through? Uh, I think it was just Chris. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of photos of him around at work. He's still, uh, he popped in actually at the start of the year. He did a little cameo in the diner scene. Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, it's true. Because he's still mates with a lot of the crew and stuff. Yeah. So he was passing through. So he I was Thor, Thor. Just cameo in the back of the diner. It's true. I think you can find if you go to the Home and Away website, you can find it. It's literally he Thor is sitting in the background in the background of shot. Is it Thor? It yeah, would have I been don't... awesome if he was dressed as Thor. No, it wasn't Thor. He... That would have been the best. If but... Thor was just having like a I... piece of lemon slice at the <laughs> diner in Home and Away. Just throwing a mug on the ground. <laughs> More ale wench. <laughs> Uh, Irene's coming over. Does I don't she still know work who his character was or how his character exited the show, but he could, I mean, theoretically, in the Home and Away universe, he could have come back as whatever character he was when he was on the show, unless he died. But he could still come back. They had <laughs> a know. spin-off of Home and Away at some stage, didn't they? Wasn't there like a more, kind of a more adult contemporary... Was there really? Yeah. And one of them moved to the city, I think. And like they all kind of like. What era are we talking? Of, like late nineties? Um, yeah, I'm going to say 90s? like you know it's got to be fifteen years ago. But give me a star, like Melissa George era. I don't even. I can't even remember. Are we going to have to pause it so I can look it up? If yeah, yeah. But away did right. have a spinoff. And we're back. Charlie has readjusted the microphones as well, so we can see each other's faces. Yeah, we'll see if that works out better. Yeah. <laughs> Put the mic back up. I love that we've tried to make this better and somehow have made it worse. <laughs> Um, okay, here we go. Oh, no. It was only- yeah, okay. So, it was 10 years ago. It was a decade ago. Here we go. Uh, Headland. That wasn't a Home and Away spinoff, was it? Headland is an Australian drama television series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Um, 
produced by the Seven Network, which ran from 15th of November 2005 to 21 January 2006. <laughs> yeah. I remember at the time, because I was doing Blue Healers at the time, and that was because Healers was on the chopping block at that stage. And we were like, oh, we're going to get renewed. And then it's like, oh, they've just commissioned a new series and they're going to make like 80 episodes. So they're like, guess we're not coming back next year. It doesn't actually say if it was a direct crossover. I might be. I don't think it was. I, I think might it, be reading that. I, I, I might have remembered that it was like a. It was, it was a show mainly about how much people love blowjobs, right? Right. <laughs> Headland. Yeah. They went to the land of blowjobs. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember Rachel Taylor was the big star. She was the one. I think she was the breakout star. Of oh, that. right. Yeah, of course. Australia's. I met her when she, because I was doing telethon. She was over promoting Headland at the time. Yeah, Rachel Taylor was definitely in it. Um, uh, Yvonne Stravinsky. No, oh, another big who star. Who went on to become a, a big star in the US. She was in it. Yeah, from Chuck. Um, and some other people who I'm not as familiar with their modern work. I don't know who the rest of them are, really. Yeah, no, it wasn't a spin-off. It was just, it was a concurrent serialised. In 2002, drama. Seven Network uh, script executive Bevan Lee. Now, he's a home and away guy, though, right? So maybe he it was, was just yeah. from the people who brought you home and away. Yes, right. Oh, hang on. In 2002, Seven Network script executive Bevan Lee was asked to create a home and away spin-off oh. with the hope of attracting the UK broadcaster Five as a co-producer. He created a show called Away From Home. Uh, <laughs> come on, Bevan. Come on. You've used at least two words that you've already used in your other show. I mean, I think that's better than Headland, though. Yeah. Like, I actually think... Away, away and away from, from home. home. <laughs> I mean, I like that. i got to be honest with you, Bevan. I'm on your side with this one. That told the story of home and away characters at the Yabby Creek University. Oh. Uh, they were not interested and they reworked it into uh, Headland, basically. So yeah. basically it became less about a spin-off. So it started as a home and away yeah. spin-off. It's, a kind, it of, it's kind of like how um, when they're making a new, new Die Hard film, they just find some crime novel about a cop who's taking on people in an isolated location and then they just whack John McClane in there. They just do find, replace and put well, John McClane Well, uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance was going to be a lethal weapon movie. Oh, it makes sense. That's why it has all that. The the tension between the black guy and the white guy. And eventually, but before that, it was actually a a script called Simon Says, I think. Ah, because that's Simon Says. Right. (laughs) So it was an original script, then it was going to be a Lethal Weapon movie, and then it became Die Hard with a Vengeance. I actually, Die Hard with a Vengeance, I, I. I, good film. I think it's really good. No, no. I, it was for a while. I thought Die Hard was good every second or third film. Now I feel like oh no, they've lost the plot. Yeah, it's ter- to, that last completely. one was terrible. That last one, like you, sometimes you know you can see an actor phoning it in, and then you can literally see an actor walking from his trailer to get into his car, yelling out a line as he steps into his limo, and does a pile of coke, and goes back to his mansion. I think basically what they did was they put a giant green screen <laughs> between his trailer and his limo. Yes. And they just filmed whatever he did between those, and then they just green screened in the action around it. Yeah, he's not even trying anymore. But the third one, the best thing about the third one is that the way they... They take because what's great about John McClane in the first one is he's the everyman, right? Right. You know, he's a bit of a smart ass and he gets scared and he gets hurt and stuff. And then the second one, he kind of is the same guy, but he's a bit more super heroic. Like he's, you know, killing a bunch of dudes on fucking like, uh, uh, um, what do you call those jet ski things? A snow 
What do you call this? Snow jet skis? Snow jet skis. Jet skis. <laughs> snow skis. It's snow skis. I think they're called snow skis. Okay. Like snow mobiles. <laughs> snow jet skis. Worst episode of Sailor Century. <laughs> but then the third one, when you first meet John McClane, he's hungover. Uh, Holly has left him. Right. Shit's gone wrong. Again. Shit's gone wrong. He's, he's, back he's, to he's pretty much bottom. off the force. Yep. Yeah, and so he actually has something to kind of win back. Like it's more. It's more than just beating the terrorists. It's like, well, can he pull his life together? Plus, uh, spoilers. He's up against you know the the relative of an original adversary. So yeah, it's yeah. Like there's it actually feels which is actually good casting because I sometimes confuse Jeremy Irons and Alan Rickman because they're sort of like do you know what I, do you know what I'm talking about? The kind of Shakespearean English. Actors at the same age. I don't know why, but like I confuse them. I I have said pretty terrible things about Jeremy Irons before on this podcast. Why? But here's what I, I'm I, not a fan. No. Why? He's the poor man's Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons. What? <laughs> like it's everyone thinks you want Jeremy Irons, but once you get Jeremy Irons, basically you're like, oh yeah, you remind me of someone better. Yeah, I guess so. He's like a he's like a budget. You always Alan feel Rickman. Like any, yeah, anytime Jeremy Irons is in it, all I'm reminded of is who couldn't you get? So Oscar winner. Yeah, I know. I mean, he's had a fine career, and I enjoy him in Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a couple of the films I enjoy him in also. But uh, uh, but you, as a general rule, are though, you going to enjoy him in Batman vs Superman? Uh, no, <laughs> I mean I can't imagine that I would or why I would. Yeah, I don't know. There's a weird. In that, I mean, also like, like playing Alfred after Michael, Michael Caine. Caine plays Alfred. Yeah, it's a lot to live up I to. I mean, it's hard work. But I reckon because you know, in some of the comic books, they retcon Alfred to be like his ex-military. Yeah, and he can you know do like field dressings and all that kind of stuff. I get that. That's what they're doing. My instinct. Because yeah, we've but, seen the gentleman, but, but also Alfred. But does that when you think of Jeremy Irons, is that what you think of? Like some ex-military. Like, no, he's at his best playing some poncy, like, European, yeah. you know, Euro sort of trash. Like, yeah, exactly. I guess. No, I could see him. I reckon he, would have, he could have a hard edge. I'm just trying to think of... I can't think of one other Jeremy Irons film besides <laughs> He's made a lot of films. Dead Ringers, that uh, creepy David Cronenberg film he's in where he plays twin brothers. And then what was the film he won an Oscar for? Reversal of Fortune. Bet he plays a poncy European... <laughs> The kind of dude in that as well. He's never really done like a, like a, you know, like even Alan Rickman did Dogma. But Jeremy Irons has never gone, oh, where's that Adam Sandler film? Or maybe he has. I'm sure he has. Let's have a look and find out. Um, I know he was a character for a while in uh, one of the crime procedurals that I watched. Homicide or something. Uh, No, it was like, I reckon it was in CSI, no, uh, Law and Order or something like that. Let's see. Okay. Uh, Jeremy Irons, Jeremy John Irons, JJ Irons. Too many J's. Too many J's. JJ Irons, I like. JJ Irons sounds like a WWF wrestler or a porn star. <laughs> um, his uh, birthday is uh, coming up. Let me guess. Uh, so is it within this month? Mm-hmm. September 19th. Uh Tofot will be live at the LA Podcast Festival. <laughs> check us out. Uh, check out the live stream. And it is also Jeremy Irons' birthday. Is it real? We will be celebrating at LA Podcast Festival. We should do a shout Jeremy, out to uh, we would JJ Irons. JJ Irons. JJ Irons. He'll probably be in town. I'd get him to come Mate, down. If we could get JJ Irons down. To do the, why don't we get him to do a live intro for us? I mean, 
To be Thanks honest, you, we love you, but we've got an Oscar winner. If JJ Irons wants to come in and do the show, JJ is welcome to do whatever he yeah. wants. He can sit in on our game that we're playing with our guests. As long as he doesn't listen to any old Top episodes, which you bag him. Okay, so JJ Irons is an English actor. After receiving classic... <laughs> Wikipedia started pretty yeah. pretty low on the bar yeah, on yeah. this one. It's assuming you know nothing. <laughs> if you've just stumbled accidentally onto this page, uh, JJ Irons is a human being. <laughs> he was conceived when a sperm and an egg created a zygote. JJ Irons uh, is an English actor after receiving classical training at the Bristol Old Vic Theatre School. Told you. Of course he did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Irons began his acting career on stage in what year, Charlie? 78. It's a, it's a funnier year than that. Funnier year. 69? Yeah. 1969. <laughs> Are you serious? Ah, yeah. How old is he? He must have been a kid. Uh, oh, 19th of September, 1948 is his birthday. Oh, shit, he's older. So he's, uh, he's 52 plus 15 is... Uh, so, uh, 67. 52 plus 15, yeah. 67, yeah. So he'll be 67 LA Podcast Festival. Yeah, right. Yeah. Too bad he wasn't going to be 69. I know, that would have been perfect. <laughs> and has since appeared in many West End theatre productions. Yeah, see, this is Jeremy Irons that I'm thinking yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Winter's Tale, Macbeth, Much Ado About <laughs> The Taming of the Shrew, Godspell, Richard II and Embers, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Boring. In 1984, he made his Broadway debut in Tom, Tom Stoppard's The Real Thing and received a Tony Award for Best Actor. Okay, so, so he's switched to the States by this yeah, stage. He's, he's gone to the Broadway. States, but in theatre. Yeah, so he's just building up the credits. Right. He's, he's the won a Tony young, on yeah. Broadway. Ian's first major film role came in the 1981 romantic drama The French Lieutenant's Woman, oh. for which he received a BAFTA nomination for Best Actor. I read that The French Lieutenant's Woman... Oh, no, I'm thinking of The Handmaid's Tale. Anyway, keep going. Uh, after starring in such film dramas as... Now, here's something interesting. Turns out that I assume... Hang on. I'm now I'm just have, going to have to guess to see if it isn't... To make sure it isn't a different thing. Oh, no, it is a different thing. Okay. I was about to say Jeremy Irons and Bruce Willis had worked together previously oh. because he was in a film called Moonlighting. But oh, it is not, that would have been awesome. It's not the same as no. the television no, series, no. it turns out. Uh, Betrayal and The Mission. He gained critical acclaim for playing twin oh, gynecologists. He was in the Mission. Yeah, right. That's a good film. In Everyone David knows that. Cronenberg's psychological thriller, Dead Ringers. Yes. In 1990, Irons played accused murderer Claus von Bülow. Reversal of Fortune. Reversal of Fortune. And that's what he won his Oscar and for. And took home multiple awards, including an Academy Award for Best Actor. Yeah. Other notable films, uh, Steven Soderbergh's Kafka. Never seen it. The period drama, The House of the Spirits. Haven't seen it. The romantic drama, M. Butterfly. Haven't seen it. The voice of Scar in Disney's The Lion King. Yes, no. I enjoyed that. Yes, he was good in that. Uh, Simon Gruber in the action film Die Hard with a Vengeance. Which we agree is his best role to date. The drama Lolita, which he's, oh, he is creepy and terrible in, but that's kind of the character. Oh, point. Uh, playing, what is it, Herbert Humperdinck? No, what's the character's name in, in Lolita? Ingelbert Humperdinck. No, it's, it's it's like a funny name. It's like Herbert Herbertson or something like that. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Well, let's have a look. Well, well hyperlink. Is what hyperlinks are for. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, Humber Humber. Humber Humber. <laughs> Humber Humber. Humbert Humbert. Humbert Humbert. Humbert Humbert. Humbert Humbert. I would assume it was Humber Humber, but maybe it's Humbert Humbert. Yeah. Humbert squared. Okay. Well, that's what he was anyway. 
uh, Lolita, Musketeer Aramis in The Man in the Iron Mask. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember that. That was a weird film. Do you remember, have you seen that with, with Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio? DiCaprio. Yeah, so you've got like uh, John Malkovich, Jeremy Irons, Gerard Depardieu, and some other old bloke. Who's the other one in it? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Irons, Gerard Depardieu. Oh, Gabriel Byrne. Oh, he was good in that too. Yeah. But yeah. it's a weird film because it's kind of like an action movie with middle-aged dudes running around. Like right. you don't immediately think John Malkovich when you think action hero. You like well, Gabriel Byrne. You know what? It'd be great, guys. Let's get the three musketeers Back together. and That's make them really idea. old. <laughs> 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 we'll call it uh, Three Musketeers with a Vengeance. <laughs> Grumpy old musketeers. <laughs> Oh, that's what I wanted to see. I wish that um, just complaining Walter of- Matthau and Jack Lemmon <laughs> yeah. and someone and Don Rickles, <laughs> grumpy old musketeers, grumpy old musketeers. <laughs> uh, all right. So um, after what did he do after Man in the Iron Mask? He did Man in the Iron Mask. He did uh, The Merchant of Venice, the drama Being Julia. I here's the thing. I hate him based on a lot of movies I've never seen. Yeah, same. Seen. I was going to say, apart from two of his films, three of his films. Kingdom of Heaven? Uh, yeah, I've seen that. Aragon? I, but he's in, I think Kingdom of Heaven, he's un, like, it's almost like a cameo. He's unrecognizable. He's covered in sores. Or is that Edward Norton? Anyway. Aragon? Aragon? Aragon. The Western Appaloosa and the indie drama Margin Call which I've seen, but uh, that's a lot of movies and a lot of movies I have no interest in seeing and never And, none, and I wouldn't imagine that they like huge box office films either. Like, See, this is my thing. Jumping from lily pad to lily pad, but... Here's the thing about my Irons hatred. I did not realise it was so ingrained that I have literally avoided pretty much... Why do you hate much, him? I, mean, I don't, you don't know. hate him. Is that, it's not you hate him, you just... Don't enjoy his work. I don't need any more of him in my life. But Instead the, of having an iron deficiency, I have an iron sufficiency. I mean, there's a lot of actors like... All right, I'll give you another example. A, a like for like. But this guy's barely worked since he won his Oscar. Is F. Murray Abraham, who played What's-A-Face in um, Amadeus. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. The, right. the kind of... What is yeah. his name? The, the Whatever his face is. Sneaky guy. Sneaky guy from Amadeus. But he's a theatre actor who, you know... Flashy role, won an Oscar, and then it's like, where did F. Murray Abraham go? Some actors like, I mean, Marissa Tomei kind of did the same thing as well. Like until the wrestler, that was the the last thing she did that really kind of got her attention. But I I worry, not I don't worry for him. Like, and he's actually got some good roles out of it. But I was watching Whiplash again the other night, which I just fucking love. Mm. And like J.K. Simmons, Simmons, not J.J. Irons. No, although he was uh, not J.K. JJ. Simmons. He was quite serious Simmons in this one. Yeah. <laughs> Little internet joke. Um, but I, um, no. Uh, Who played Joe Jana Jameson? <laughs> J.K. Simmons plays Joe Jana Jameson. J.J. Jameson. Not J.J. Irons. <laughs> um, I hope that he continues to get good roles. I hope that that isn't the oh, one yeah, time. No. He, he strikes me as you... like a Brian Cranston type. It's now everyone's like, this guy can fucking do anything. I hope so. I mean, I, he's one of my Lauren Oliver guys. See a Robin, they did a Robin Williams retrospective. I think he's on in the actor's studio and they asked him about winning the Oscar. And he said, you know, for the first week, it's like, hey, well done, great on the Oscar. And then two weeks later, it's like, hey, Mork. <laughs> like, right. it doesn't last that long. No. No, I, on ABC Radio today, apparently, they were having a debate. And this just amused me because uh, my television show uh, came back last night on the television and it, it did very well overnight and so they're having a discussion on an ABC radio about how well it had gone and 
apparently in Melbourne, people started ringing up to do like to claim where I'm from. Like, oh. and people were saying, like, some people were saying he's from Hayfield, some people were saying he's from Denison, some people were saying he's from Sale. And it became, in just those weird Are ways- they that, all near each other? They're all near each other. I was, I lived in Denison. That's where I, the farm is. Uh, Hayfield is where I played junior footy, went to primary school and, like, you know, played all my sports and stuff. And Sale is where I went to high school. So, so war breaks out between Sale, Denison, and Hayfield. Who do you fight for? Well, I'd fight for Denison. That's, that's where, where I'm from. Is. But we would be slaughtered. <laughs> like, because, like, Denison has, like, 350 people. Hayfield has 1,200 and, like, Sale has 12,000. Have you ever seen that movie 300? Oh, they die. Yeah, oh, yeah. they die. Like, I don't know if you watch right through the end. <laughs> no, but they I don't just actually, assume they win. They don't actually <laughs> win in the end. <laughs> Spoilers. But they, well, they okay. fight bravely, right. but they don't actually win So it's end. more like Rocky. Yeah. No, he loses no, too. No, <laughs> Okay, so it's kind of like the Titanic. <laughs> the guy who does not get metaphor. I only watch this movie halfway through. Yeah. And just assumes everything's going to end well. Yeah. Gee, that girl from the crying game's hot. Anyway, I'll be out of here. <laughs> uh, tune into Tofop for more references from 1992. <laughs> Jeremy Irons' career and crying game jokes. <laughs> yeah, we're cutting edge. Okay, so um, back to Irons. Oh, no, they were debating where I was from. And so they actually hit me I don't me know. Up. I'm feeling a bit ironing bored. They oh, <laughs> they um, they asked me, you know, to kind of settle this thing. And all I was thinking was, normally those towns are running to distance themselves from my name. <laughs> like for the last 20 years, all those towns have done is be embarrassed that I exist. And today they are having an argument over which one of them owned me. I was like, give it two weeks. That's what I said to them. I said, give it two weeks and they'll all tell you where I'm actually fucking from. Anyway, okay. So, Irons has made several notable appearances on television. His first Golden Globe nomination... Because uh, he's very awarded. That's what I will say. He like he, he can act. He, he can just act. chooses to act in stuff terrible. That you things. don't want to watch. Uh, but he, like, hang on, he did, he did a lot of Shakespeare. Are you into Shakespeare? Not his Shakespeare. Well, who's Shakespeare? Baz Other people's. <laughs> Other people, not Jeremy. Are you into Shakespeare? Was it something that you read as a kid or? You know, because oh, I'm not. You I, know, my one acting performance, Charlie, was oh, in a Shakespeare right. play with the cum trees. In the <laughs> with the trees that smell like cum. <laughs> I don't remember a lot about that story, but I do remember the cum trees because yeah. I have smelt the cum trees. The people who it's don't in know, Melbourne Botanic Garden. Right? Melbourne Botanic Garden, where we were performing this uh, Midsummer Night's Dream for like two months. Midsummer Night's summer. Cream. And well, there are trees that smell like jizz. <laughs> Jizzmas trees. <laughs> cum trees. Give me a home among the cum trees. <laughs> Not up your bum trees. <laughs> well, this is homophobic. Um, a cockatoo and a kangaroo. <laughs> a cockatoo and a kangaroo. <laughs> Take a wallaby out the back and jizz right in its crack. Oh, this is easy. Song parodies are easy. Yeah. Uh, Irons has made several notable appearances on television. He earned his first Golden Globe for his breakout role in the ITV series Brideshead Revisited. Ah, yes. Yet again. But again, this is... Stuff this you is, never watch. This is your Jeremy Irons... This is not Alfred. Who would... Who would? All right, let's try and imagine who is the fan base for Jeremy Irons' films? Like, women over 60? I mean, I, I mean, Brideshead. I mean, I'm I'm sure my mum loved Brideshead. I don't know if she did, but I think there's a fair chance my mum loved Brideshead Revisited. Well, I mean, maybe. Maybe I mean, if, maybe Brideshead Revisited was like an ABC staple. When I worked in the video store, there was the big box set of Brideshead, 
And the only people who got it were ABC listening, left-leaning Chardonnay sipping, uh, you know. Brideshead Revisited sounds like a sequel. I like the idea that there was people that it's not as good as the original Brideshead. Brideshead. <laughs> um, all right, here we go. Brideshead Revisited. In 2005, Irons starred opposite Helen Mirren. Here we go. That's your... Now you've got some fucking class on the table. Uh, in the historical miniseries, Eliz- Elizabeth won. She won? What did she win? No, it was Elizabeth, <laughs> like, won. Numeral one. Yeah, the sequel was nowhere near yeah. as good. Um, it's like Batman Returns, Elizabeth won. Uh which he received a Golden Globe Award, an and Emmy Award for Best Supporting they Actor. Just fucking throw awards at him. For from 2011 to 13, he starred as Pope Alexander the Sixth. Ah, yes. In the Showtime Shons historical series, the, the Borges. Borges. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. My mum has I will that not, series on DVD. I will not watch that because I think that it would bore <laughs> <just> silly. <laughs> That is another ABC staple, right? Or SBS or something. It's yeah, I see it advertised all the time. And yeah. every time I see it advertised, I'm like, oh, I would not. That's not the one this. with uh, the, the young guy in it too, is it? No, I'm thinking the Tudors. Oh, yeah, no. no, no it's, it's, not, it's not the Tudors. Uh, he is one of the few actors who won the Triple Crown of Acting. Tony, Oscar, Emmy. Right. He's a fucking triple crown. He's, He's a, a triple, triple threat. threat. He's an acting triple and threat. And we're fucking how bagging I, his career. Di- we've got a podcast yeah. and we're disrespecting a motherfucking ap- acting triple, triple threat. threat. Stage, screen, television. He's done Fuck it all. Man. Okay, you know what? Maybe I'm taking it back. Maybe he is the guy. Maybe Batman vs Superman is where you fall in love with him. In 2011, October, he was nominated Good Hill Ambassador of the Food and Alcohol... Hang on. Good Good Hill ambassador. In no, not Good Hill. I've oh. just misread that. Okay. In 2011, he was nominated Goodwill oh, yeah, ambassador of the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United States, not United Nations, sorry. So he's the Goodwill ambassador for food and ag for the UN. What does that mean? I don't know. Hey, Food's great, right? We all think that. How good's food? Yay! Yay! Give me another award. I'm Jeremy Irons. (laughs) That's that's my Jeremy Irons impression. Um, How would you do Jeremy Irons? Hello, Jeremy Irons. Hello, I'm I'm Jeremy Jeremy Irons. Irons. I've won an Oscar, an Emmy, and a Tony. I'm Jeremy Irons, god damn it. (laughs) Oh, here we go. Music. What? Hang on. Oh, dear. Now we might fucking... Now he's got more. Now he's maybe not even... Maybe he's not even just a fucking triple threat. I don't think he's won a Grammy. Here we go. Music. In 1985, Irons directed a music video for Carly Simon and a heavily promoted single, Tired of Being Blonde. Which one's Carly Simon again? You're So Vain, I believe. Carly Simon, right? Oh, is that Karen Carpenter? No, that's Carly Simon. I think it's Carly Simon. Yeah, okay. Uh, Take your word for it. Hang on, I want to see now. No. You're So so Vain. Yeah, okay. Okay. And a bunch of other things. Uh, Okay. Uh, So he directed that. So he directs as well. 85. Uh, in 94, he had a cameo. Oh, no, who cares? Um, uh, Irons has contributed to other musical performances, uh, recording William Walton's Facade with Dame Peggy Ashcroft, Stravinsky's The Soldier Tale. Oh, fucking hell. What's he he bores me to shit. What, but he's so talented. <laughs> he's so talented. But so and boring. all in areas that I have no interest in. Yeah. Like, it's like every time I read a new fact about him, I am more bored by how yeah. wonderful he is. When I was a kid, the one <sighs> store I used to hate mum taking me to was Spotlight. Because to me, like, Spotlight is the anti-fun. You cannot 
have fun in that story. Look it's at just you, so shunning fucking... the spotlight from an early age. Ah, it's so boring. So Jeremy Irons is like the spotlight of entertainment. Man, it's just all okay. buttons and foam balls and curtains and swatches. Swatches? What do they call them? Yeah, swatches. swatches? Fabric swatches. Is that right. there? Are they swatches or switches? Swatches. Anyway. You know, swatches are the watches, right? Swatches are also the watches. But oh, I think okay. you have swatches of fabric. Fabric swatches, right? Not switches. Yeah. I think you... I was spot on the first time. Should I just back myself? Fabric swatch, yeah. Yeah. You can get a fabric swatch book. Uh, no, that'd be like hanging out with Jeremy Irons. <laughs> I am like the world's worst Cyrano. Basically, every time you start a conversation, I'm just here on the computer, like trying <laughs> to fill in facts on the way. <laughs> Um, all right, so uh, I will put down the computer and we can talk about something other than Jeremy Irons because uh, I wanted today is the 20th anniversary of uh, my very first uh, stand up comedy gig. It's today. And that's about what you heard at the end of it, right? Oh, mate, that's more than what I heard. <laughs> no, actually, my first one went really well. My second one was terrible, but my first one went really well. Yeah. But yeah, 20 years ago. Where today, was it? The SB in St Kilda. Yeah, right. Open mic? Open mic. They used to do Sunday afternoon open mic. Two brackets that have a professional headliner and a professional host. And then the rest was just open mic. And how long had you been building up to it? Was it like, uh, were you defer- was it a kind of fairly impulsive thing? or? No. Nah. I mean, I wanted to do comedy for a while. And then I kind of was like, well, now I'm going to do it. So I went down for three weeks and watched this. Like, I found out this was the place, you know, to go. And so I went down for three weeks and I had a rule. Because they used to have, like, I think they'd have probably eight comics in each bracket. So, like, you... And I think it was from like three o'clock in the afternoon to six o'clock at night. So it was kind of a relaxed day. It was always kind of full. It was only five bucks. People would come down, have like Sunday recovery drinks and watch them, you know, open mic and stuff. It had a good vibe. Yeah. It was out the back in the Gershwin room there, which is like, you know, just a really brilliant, uh, you know, live music and comedy room. And um, I went down for three weeks beforehand and I had a rule, which was, I thought you remembered the three worst people. Like, from my experience of watching it, I was like, okay, you remember the three worst people, but everybody else is kind of just, you know, in the middle. I knew I wasn't going to be the best, but I was like, as long as I'm not in the three worst, (laughs) like, I'm happy to be that. And so I went down for three weeks, and each week I was like, would I have, do I think that I would be in the three worst on this? And I did not think I would be. So then, yeah, on the fourth week, I actually did my set. Yeah. Did you, um, was there, were there any other comedians of note in your bracket? Hughesy was on. Same um, night? Or yeah, but it wasn't his like, first gig. He oh, was right. already like, uh, he'd been doing comedy. But um, Rove was doing his very first ever solo show. Um, he had previously been in a duo called Duff and Rove. And his first time he ever did solo stand-up was on that day. Yeah, right. Um, Steve Bedwell was hosting. Do you remember Betters? Betters? Yeah. Yeah, from Tim Bum Betters. Uh, so Steve Bedwell was hosting the show. I remember that. 20 years ago. 20 years. I know. It's That's insane. crazy, man. So I must have met you when you were halfway through. How long have I known you? Since about 2001. So what's that? 14 years. So you're yeah. only six years into your career when I met you. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. But well, it felt like when I met you, you'd been doing comedy forever. I was very lucky that... I mean, I've had, uh, you know, I got, I started kind of doing Good News Week when I was, I guess, like 23 or 24, which was like the first thing that kind of, it was a very popular show. You know, it was a new show and I was lucky enough to be like one of the younger comics that they were going to. Yeah, going to and supporting. So you kind of like got to stand out a little bit on a show that was already popular. And so that was really good for me. And then when I was 25, I got Triple J and that kind of was like, 
Well, since yeah, that kind doing a show like that Triple J Breakfast Show, like it just immediately it accelerates. kind of yeah, accelerates yeah. everything. So. so back to the the first gig, can you remember? Were you nervous? Oh, yeah, I imagine I must have been. It was something that I've been dreaming about doing for a really long time. Had you done time. like musicals at school or any kind of theatre work or like performance? Do stuff? you not remember yeah, my, me telling you about my wonderful performance as the king in The King and I oh, at I high know. school? Maybe. When they blacked me up? Oh, no. Well, <laughs> orange, when they oranged me up. Oh, they didn't yellow you up? Yeah. No, when, they oranged you orange up. Orange me up. They didn't like, want to be racist. Fake tan. Yeah, right. <laughs> but he's the king of Siam. Right. And so they dyed, like I dyed my hair black. I had long hair and I dyed my hair black and we shaved it at the sides and put in like a ponytail, yeah, yeah. like in that sort of like, and yeah. then. I, like, oriental like, style. Yeah, oriental style. And then my entire body like fake tanned orange. Right. And we'd like, this is, I guess this is like 19. What's the big song from The King and I? Uh, I mean, the the woman has most of the yeah, but um, there must be a famous song. Yeah, there is. There's heaps. There's a, a whole bunch of them. Um, I like big butts. I cannot lie. Ah, fuck. Okay, now I'm gonna. No, no, no. It's no, I have right. to. Oh, I have to find out now. Um, there's one about uh, like what, my song. There was one called "Butt Is a Puzzlement" because it was "Butt her, Is a Puzzlement." Yeah, it her was, butt is know, a puzzlement. Her butt is a puzzlement. <laughs> <laughs> It was an early version of I Like Big Butts. It's more like I'm I'm puzzled by big butts. Uh, no, the king, like Anna's teaching the king about like, you yeah, know, yeah. Western ways. And he, it's a comedy song almost yeah. about oh, like- You know, you know what? I'm actually getting memories. I think we, I, th- I feel like early, early, early Tofot, we have talked about this. Yeah. Okay. Let's find out. I'm um, getting memories. So, uh, let's just find out what the hit songs out of it were. Um, no, because it was. There was a couple. There, there's one of hers that is kind of the famous song from the. God, oh my God, Charlie, there's so much information about The King and I on this Wikipedia. It's fucking crazy. Okay, here are your musical numbers. Um, so, uh, yeah, okay, the song was called A Puzzlement. Yep. The one that I that I sang. Yeah. Oh, her big one is Getting to Know You. Getting to know you. Getting, getting to know all about you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So getting then to show you my butt. <laughs> Watching oh, your face. No, this was the me. this was the big one. Okay. This was the hard one. Uh Anna and the King have a song together towards the end, and we had to dance. Like, yo, like yeah. and sing at the same time. Uh, and the song is called Shall We Dance? Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, anyway, so yeah, right. that was like the big, yeah, so we had to like do this duet and sing and like dance at the same time. It would have been terrible. <laughs> I just look back on that and just think people came and watched it, you know? Like, it had, you know, it only ran, runs for a little while, but it was full every night and it was like family and school friends and stuff. And I'm up there in fucking orange face looking like a fucking ninja Donald Trump, yeah. like singing and dancing. Me who can't sing, you know, or dance. It's amazing. Like, I mean, we've Terrible. Talk, we have talked about it before, but when I did that horrendous version of Little Women uh, for the Hampton uh, Theatre Plays <laughs> and it was in a scout hall... Uh, which was we'd do matinees where the lighting cues wouldn't work because you could see the stage at all times because there was sunlight streaming in through the windows. But it was terrible. It was awful. But we got people coming to see that as well. And it's like, there's there's just something, humans need entertainment. And 
even in this world of like, you know, that would have been the late 90s. So there's DVDs, at least. People were still coming to see this shitty amateur little play version of Little Women with half the actors who can do accents. and It's why there's a fucking guitarist in Mad Max. Even yes. in a post-apocalyptic society, we you want still need some fucking entertainment. Yeah, but if there was DVDs in Mad Max world, I'm pretty sure everyone would be watching the DVDs. No one would be going to see Guitar Guy. Oh, you know, that's not true. If Guitar Guy was in the real world, people would go to see Guitar right. Guy. The but du- also... The Doof Warrior. No, but if it was in a uh, like futuristic society, all the things that... Like, if it reflected modern-day society, there'd be the Guitar Guy, but there'd also be, like, the talkback radio guy. Nah. There'd be another guy on the front of, like, one of the cars just shouting opinions. Yeah. Like, nasty opinions about the other tribes and yeah, shit like there'd that. Be some rea- there'd be some reality tribe as well. Or right. like, you, just, you just come around and just watch them do stuff. They don't actually kind of do anything. But- oh, but that'd be uh, the girlfriends, the wives. The wives, yeah. So that's right. The, the real, real housewives, housewives of the wasteland. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Tonight on Real Housewives of the Post-Apocalyptic Wasteland. Do you, have you ever watched any of the Housewives shows? Just for research purposes, I imagine you would do it for like to be current and stuff. I don't typical. like interesting thing. Here's, I will tell you this about like not um, doing radio anymore. Like, you know, is that once I finish that radio job, I really have actually just and part of it is just a natural result of traveling all the time. Those are the shows that you only watch if you're in the same place all the time mm. like your, your dramas and stuff like that when you're on the road I catch up with all that stuff because yeah. you download them and you watch them but those sort of reality shows you're, not you're never going to go and sit or bu- watch no. a bunch of them that's in a row. stuff that you put on when you're making dinner or right. you know, doing something else but I, don't, I mean I'm in the same place uh, that, all the time to, that and to I don't me, watch those that to shows. me is AFL 360 yeah that's my reality show yeah. like when I'm at home and I have an hour like and I know that AFL 360 last night I almost cried during AFL 360 I was so like there was this. Mo- there was a couple of moments. A Jesse Hogan, who won the Rising Star, was on and was just fucking great. Like I, I hope that he's just as big a superstar as he looks like he's going to be because he's just what the game needs. Yeah. But secondly, they did this interview with Ross Lyon, who used to coach your club. He coaches Fremantle now, and the captain uh, Matthew Pavlich, and they're both such no-nonsense guys, but you've got to watch this interview because it's really fucking human. It gets all fucking human all really? of a sudden. Because Russ let, Russ let people in, didn't no, he? No. Oh. No, because oh. they both aren't... Letting people They're in. both people who try not to let people in. But Robbo, and you know, I've not always been the, the biggest fan yeah. of... Yeah. But you know what he can do really well? Is he can sneak someone a really fucking hard question. Because he has that kind of thing with that laid back, we, he can actually kind Drunk. of <laughs> yeah. But he can kind of ease someone into revealing something about themselves yeah, that he, I think yeah. He frames it in a very casual right. way. You don't feel like you're under. He doesn't grill you. And he hit them by the idea, and he actually said it to them both, which I thought was fucking because those two guys are superstars. But he kind of asked them the question. And he said, "Look, you've both been superstars." But surely you've got to be haunted by the fact that the biggest thing in the game is a premiership and neither of you have been able to achieve it. And coming into this season where you finish first but no one rates you, you've got to kind of be overwhelmed by this. And they both talk about process and they don't both... But they end up kind of almost being philosophical about the idea of life. And Ross Lyon talks about that idea of like... that they're. They, they, they've given themselves permission to lose. To well, not even to lose, but to aspire. Yeah. Like the the whole point is that as a club, they've given themselves permission to go out there and kind of risk being great. 
Yeah. And they talk about this idea of like that their whole philosophy is give yourself the permission to risk being great and understand that that comes with the idea that it might not yeah. work out. But that's part of it and you've just got to kind of reconcile yourself with that. Yeah. And they're explaining this and you can see them both kind of spouting the words, which are great words, but at the same time, like they're you're still it. going and you can see Ross going, he goes, but I know that the, the measure is the premiership and that's what we're here for. And it was like one of those moments where I was like, mm. if you look closely at something and people when they talk, you can learn so much more about them and kind of connect with them much more than the words that just come out of their mouths. Yeah. I mean, John O'Brien was on um, Junk Time, AFL pod, Michael Chamberlain, Adam Rosenbach. Great podcast. Check it out if you like AFL. And uh, he talks about being haunted by the one premiership he didn't win. Right. (laughs) And it's like, but you won three before that. But he just still, I mean, I guess if you're a competitive beast, and I mean, that is what your focus is, like just the things he, he goes over, what he could have done differently, what they did wrong, where they lost the game. It's just like holy shit, man. I mean, I, 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 I do wonder. You know, when you see, there's all this kind of footy speak, right? When players and coaches speak in the media, and you know, they're never going to talk themselves up. They're never going to give shit to the opposition. It's all very contained. And people, are, like commentators, are always like, "No, we just want to really hear someone be truthful and stuff." But I kind of believe that the players, they're not like. Um, they're not withholding information or or, 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 or or being cute with their answers. They've bought into a system of belief. Like at St Kilda, for instance, and this is not unique to St Kilda, a lot of clubs have this. When they talk about, um, you know, uh, was it hard uh, but leading all day and then losing the game? And they're like, well, we don't think about the end result. Where where we just concentrate on the contest. The process. The process. The process. And if you achieve those goals and you give great effort in all those areas and you come off the ground and when you look and do the analysis and it's like, well, we won contested ball and we won this, yet we still lost the game, then, well, there's nothing we can't control that. Sometimes the ball bounces the wrong way. You know what I mean? And I'm like, that actually makes 100% sense. And I think it's actually a really great philosophy for life in general. But it's much harder when it's not going well. I mean, like to use last night's show as a, like an analogy, we had worked really hard on the first show back. And I think we'd done like a, you know, put together a really good show and whatever. But if it had come out this morning and it hadn't gone well, people would have suddenly been asking a whole bunch of questions about how we'd put it together. Mm. Like sometimes the fact that it works, like, you know, the day where the ball bounces in your direction, Mm. like you don't have to confront that. Whereas the teams who are working on process and do, because I absolutely agree with it. And I think in life, if you're like, Eddie Maguire, and it's rare that I like, you know, quote Eddie Maguire. (laughs) It's like, you know, here's something you, but on his Triple M Breakfast show quite a lot, he used to berate Luke Darcy, who used to play for my club, and particularly this year because we're having a good season. It's traditional for Bulldogs fans because we've been hurt so often, and I'm sure you understand this <laughs> too, that you just can't enjoy even like a small amount of success because you're like, well, it'll go wrong. You so get suspicious. This will, you know. Yeah. And I've had trouble with it even this week with my team in the finals. <laughs> I'm like, well, it probably will just be this week and we're probably not, you know. Whereas like Ed's thing is like only one team can win each year. But are you really going to waste the whole year of your life not enjoying, like, you know... Dreaming. Right. But also, you've done well. Mm. Like, not everyone gets to win. But just because you came second or just because you... Like, it doesn't actually... Like, you know, you can be very proud of the effort you put in and the season that you've had and all those sort of things. And I think it's a good way to look at life as well, which is like... I think that, you know, criticism shouldn't hurt you unless you believe the criticism. Mm. Like, if you've put in the work and you've put in the process and things don't go your way, then you can kind of walk away from those things and just go, well, I tried my best. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't work out. Well, it's the same same thing of, 
owning your mistakes. Like if you take a risk, people advise you against something and you go, no, I'm going to do it this way and it fails. Well, at least you did it on your terms. Right. Because it's at least that way you actually went for something. If you just do what other people tell you to do and you still fail, then what have you got? But also the other thing that comes with that, which I think people don't appreciate or as much as they should, or I, I, I put it another way, rather than me saying what other people think or not think, um, that I didn't appreciate, that I've learned to appreciate over the years is that also that you've got to be make peace with the idea that it may not work out. If yeah. you do it your own way and it may not work out, and if it doesn't work out, you also have to own your choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you also have well, to you, go, well, I thought this was the best choice regardless, and it, well, it didn't work out, but I can't suddenly blame other people mm. or kind of lash out and think it's someone else's fault. And being, to- being okay with failure too has become less and less tolerated in society. Like, the standards we now set for people in the era of like a clickbait media, we don't allow people to make mistakes. We love to crucify people. Like when someone fucks up, people love to get on social media and like, you know, hashtag a joke or, or have an opinion. It's like, well, it's, I can understand why so many people are developing like anxiety and depression issues and stuff because there is this pressure, at least externally, it feels like there's a pressure that we all have to be perfect, that we can't fuck up. And that must be horrendous. Like if you, if you, imagine if you work a high pressure job, like what I do for a living, you know, there is pressures, but it's not like life and death. But I imagine if I was studying medicine or something like that, the, the pressure to succeed and not fail would just be kind of maddening. Well, the thing is also that I think that we live in a society at the moment where people not only think that they have to be as happy as other people, mm. but for, they have to, they think they have to be as happy as other people are pretending to be. Yes. Well, that's what Facebook has created. Right. The image that it's... Uh, well, I don't think it's created it, but it's enabled oh, yeah, it enabled or it's it. highlighted it or it's made, made it... Made it more prominent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's also to that strange detachment too. Um, you know, you, you sort of see people on their phones with Instagram or, or Tinder, all these kind of swipey sort of social apps. And there is no, there's no engagement with the images unless you sort of see something that you really want to say, look at, but you are scrolling through thousands, thousands of images faster than you ever had before. And they're all these idealized images. So that's got to affect your subconscious somehow, right? If every photo you see is someone is with it like a six pack or a super fit body or, you know, on a yacht or something, doesn't that's got to make you look at your own life and go, well, fuck, why don't I look like that? Or I why think don't of it I all the time, yacht? mate. We have allowed an entire generation for the last 50 years, we've enti- allowed people to be brainwashed constantly by marketing and advertising. And at the heart of all marketing and advertising is the idea that aspiration is good, that you should not be happy with what you have right now. Now, yeah. this new thing or this better thing is coming out and we take this in unedited uncritically examined every fucking day from the time that we're able to see and fucking hear our brains aren't fully formed you know to years later but we've been wh- mm. why why is the world becoming more capitalistic and and you know uh you know everyone wants to be famous and everybody worshiping the kardashians we created this mm. like we created this we fucking let this happen because we never critically examined the brainwashing we were doing to, people. Well, to come back to the very first thing we talked about on the podcast the brain <laughs> the way the brain works what i was reading this book is that um so you've basically got the uh hippocampus which forms long-term memories and then you've got the cortex where the memories are stored oh, okay yeah but 
when you um, when you experience something and then you commit it to your memory, it's a process called consolidation, and that takes a really long time. And sometimes you can uh, something can uh, form a neural pathway in your brain and just gets locked away, and you never think about it again. And then twenty years later, you hear that song, you smell that smell like the cum tree, and it triggers that memory. But what they're saying is that. Um, if you, in, as far as your brain is concerned, when you have that memory, you're having that experience. You're having that memory for the first time again. It is kind of following the same neural pathway that was created the first time you had that experience. So again, if you're a kid and you're watching, you know, McDonald's uh, ads on TV and stuff, it would make sense that you know you associate, you know, um, good times and and toys and you know a general feeling of goodwill with. McDonald's because it's been carved, neural pathways have been carved through that are just immediately recalled every time you see those golden arches. And I know personally, I mean, my family, we never really got McDonald's. It was like on a birthday or whatever, but it there was something about going to McDonald's because of the association that even as an adult, I would go into a McDonald's on my own and I would genuinely enjoy the feeling of like, you know, oh, this is home or this is like, I've been a good boy. (laughs) (laughs) Someone's going to sing me happy birthday and give me a present. It's my birthday every day now that I'm an adult. Yeah. (laughs) But I was conscious of it, but it's also, it was a weird thing. It's like, I mean, do I really like McDonald's? No, not really that much, but I like the feeling, the nostalgia of it. It's amazing how many things you think you like until you don't have them and you realize that you don't need them. Mm. Like I found that with giving up, you know, meat, but also just with traveling the last two years. Like I've essentially been living out of a suitcase and you suddenly realize that all these other things that you think are important in your life that you've built up around you, like some of them are, some of them are more important. You amplify how important those things are, but a lot of the other shit just drops away around the sides. Um, We should finish up because you've got to go uh, to something and I'm also going out to dinner. Yeah. But um, we are going to go the footy on Saturday night yes. uh, to see the Bulldogs uh, play against Adelaide in the finals and I'm actually going to go to the footy the next day as well to watch the Tigers and oh, the awesome. Lions I'm going to sit in the Channel 10 box alright with Rusey apparently holy shit yeah so that'll be fun awesome um, but uh, Saturday night uh, we will uh, talk about this off here actual plans but I have some things to do before the game so we'll just have to work out um, you know whether you will do those things with me or we just will meet because uh, one of the things I'm doing Charlie which I'm sure you probably don't want to be involved in is that at 5 30 i am leading yes leading the march to the g of the bulldogs fans (laughs) (laughs) do they know you can can barely walk (laughs) i mean it's a march it's a limp it's a limp to the g G. (laughs) i will be leading the limp to the g Bulldog supporters are so suspicious of success. The guy they've asked to lead them to their first finals campaign in four years is a dude who can barely walk. <laughs> and then after the, after the limp to the G, I will be uh, going on... Uh, I'll, the... fucking, I'll limp to the G with you. That'd be oh, fun. That'd be awesome. That'd yeah, be really cool. I think that'd be good. Fuck, hey, you know what? Bulldogs are... Uh, uh, we, the Bulldogs and the Saints have a shared history right. of disappointment and pain. Absolutely. I'd be so happy for the Bulldogs to go all this you'd way. Be this well, you'd be welcome among our people, Actually, definitely. I don't know that I would be happy for you to guys go... Because you said the same thing to me in 09 and 10. If the Bulldogs won a premiership, then suddenly, I don't know, our friendship might be fractured. It changes the dynamic. I don't know we can identify with... Sport. I don't think it would be, man, because I just think that, like, I, I need to be able to die soon. <laughs> I'm not saying I am going to die soon, but I just need... Maybe after the walk to the team. I need in my life the re- the reassurance that I can that I can die whenever I want. Yeah. 
And so, um, you know, I have a new puppy now, so I probably can't die. No, but not at least for four. But I just years. love for them to be. I'd just be. Great. So, what happens if in say 2018, St Kilda and the Bulldogs play off in a grand final? Yeah, like, I mean, I don't know if the Bulldogs win. I just don't know if I, that will be a happy because you want to talk about it. We talk about football all the time. I mean, you'll have to curb because I have not watched. Any of the, I've seen four losing grand finals and I have not been able to bring myself to watch any of them. Yeah. Too painful. Too painful. So I don't know what would happen if you guys beat... I think we're talking about a highly unlikely situation. <laughs> <laughs> that our two teams would be good at the same time. And that we'll that still we be podcasting like, in 2018. <laughs> you know what? That's a, pro- that's a problem that we can... Deal with them. Let's yeah. cross that bridge when, <laughs> when we, we get to, to it. it. Um, the, the other thing I'm doing just before the game is that I am uh, doing an interview on your television network. Oh, yeah? On the Channel 7 uh, pre-game football show. Are you serious? That's yeah. awesome. So they're going to interview me and Dougie Hawkins, oh, right. former legend of my football club, as representatives of the Bulldogs. The two funniest men in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> cool man so that's what yeah. your celebrity status has garnered you that's yeah. so cool yeah I, so. I mean I'm desperate to be St Kilda's like celebrity I did status launch, guy but I I'm launched, behind Eric Banner and fucking I launched Molly the Bulldogs Meldrum. emoji did you last night they have an emoji because for the finals so if you type hashtag be more bulldog on Twitter it comes up with a specific that's Bulldogs awesome. emoji I was the launcher of that fantastic you know what it is Twitter fucking, followers. Well, yeah, Twitter followers. Yeah. And the other thing is that fucking Hemsworth isn't putting in because our number one ticket holder is actually Chris Hemsworth. Is to bring it? it back to that. Fucking sore. He's happy to sit in the fucking diner at Summer Bay, but he isn't <laughs> happy to tweet about the Bulldogs emoji, apparently. He's very busy. Asgard. Poor, poor coverage <laughs> poor in Asgard. coverage from Asgard. It's not even 4G up there. He's there but... in Asgard trying to get it through the... <laughs> trying to open a hole so he can, like... <laughs> You'll see a rainbow bridge just shoot down before the game. All right. Um, uh, we should finish up. But uh, Charlie, uh, yes. anything to plug uh, apart no. from LA Podcast Festival? No, no. Uh, come uh, and see our show. Dave Anthony, Gareth Reynolds, Jen Kirkman, Matt Kirshen, maybe some other people as well. But Hopefully JJ Irons. We are going to do a... Um, we're going to do a quiz. It's not really a quiz. It's just kind of like a little fun it's a thing game to show. do. But it's a game show. It's but we're going to have show. a bunch of kind of stories and people have to guess if it was Charlie or myself. It'll yeah. be a very fun uh, thing. So please come and check out, say, like 4 o'clock in the afternoon on the Saturday and then I'll be flying back to Australia straight afterwards. So no, I don't complain, man. I did it in 24 hours last year. Oh, yeah. It's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like a great idea at the time. Uh, so buy a T-shirt or a poster or that sort of thing. Uh, I have two shows on sale. Uh, one's called Political Will, which is in Sydney and that's uh, more than half sold out. It's at Giant Dwarf. Come and see that. Uh, a couple of the actual shows are already sold out. So, oh, And one more thing. So uh, the podcast is uh, now available on omniapp.com. Um, and we had a few people get in touch saying that they uh, live in areas where there's low bandwidth or they have to go to public Wi-Fi. Yep. So Omni have created an, a download uh, button an MP3, and a P3 yeah. download. So you can so, download it rather than having to stream yeah. it. I would recommend not downloading them all at once, even if you use public Wi-Fi, because it'd take a while. Maybe one, ep- one episode at a time. Right. If you have terrible Wi-Fi, then yeah, maybe one at a time. One at a time. But, uh, and also, uh, Fofop, my other podcast, is a new episode with uh, Dave, Anthony and Gareth Reynolds. I've heard of them. Which is up. Uh, we got interviewed. Uh, I told you that they, the guy from the footy show interviewed them, right? Did I tell you this? No. They were down at uh, just uh, down near my house. We went down to the pub, and with the guy Bo, whatever his name is, who does Bo the, Ryan, yeah, who does the interviews on the New South Wales footy show. Like he was doing interviews down there, and I walked by and he tried to grab me, and I was like, no, 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 no network, network. Yeah, that's what I said. I said network, network, and he was like, okay, now. 
like one week later, I'm on the Channel 7 footage show. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, Gareth and Dave got interviewed by That's him. That's so funny. But it will never appear on the New South Wales footage show because <laughs> in this no week. Idea. No, because in this week, he has been sacked. From the New South Wales footy show because he was having an, an affair, affair with someone with from, High Five. from High Five. Yeah. So this great bit of footage of Dave and Gareth that could have been on the New South Wales footy show is on the cutting room floor because he's an affair with a childhood entertainer. Mm. Uh, a free will with Justin Hamilton in <laughs> Perth, uh, the 9th and 10th of October. You've got that final plug in. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>